beginning with verse 11, Ephesians 4:11. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Well, I want to speak with you briefly here this evening concerning the subject of maturity in Christ. And this is one of a number of sections that a person could turn to related to this subject. But uh, we may jump around a little bit this evening, but primarily we'll stay in, in this section of Scripture. Let's pray here before we go on. Father, we ask that you would teach us by thy Spirit now. We acknowledge that uh, we are in a process of maturity, and we pray that you would use this meeting here tonight and these words from your word to help us to be more mature. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul's purpose in preaching and teaching and really his life in general was that he might present every man, every person, complete or mature in Christ. And we see that desire being uh, written about in this section here that we're looking at. Um, we see that maturity has to do with what he calls here um, being uh, a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now, the only truly mature man was Christ. But we are to be brought more and more into the, the stature, that stature of maturity that Christ had. Um, for this purpose, this purpose of maturity, Christ has gifted certain people. We're told the, uh, he enumerates them there in verse 11. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. And that was for the purpose of equipping the saints. These people that he mentioned here, the apostles and prophets and evangelists, pastors, teachers, were given those gifts so that they might gift others, that is, to equip the saints. Uh, in other words, they are, uh, they are given these gifts in order to equip 
the saints. Now, in other words, they're, they're given gifts in order that they can give some equipment. That's what you do when you equip someone. You give them some equipment uh, to perform certain functions, uh, equipping the saints. And the equipment's needed for work. That's what he says, for the work of service. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service. You have some work. Every saint has some work to do. And you're given equipment to do that work with. Um, it's called a work of service. So, if that's the case, I would say primarily serving of one another is the work that God has for each one of us. Serving one another in the body of Christ. And we are to be being equipped for that, you see, uh, by the apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. So that's kind of the setting. And all of this, you see, is that we might attain to the mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So that's kind of an overview here of the, the uh, section. Um, when that work of service is being done uh, with the equipment that God provides, there will be a building up of the body of Christ. Again, you see, it's like, if you want to picture it this way, a building is being erected, equipment's being used, and the people that are doing it are the saints, uh, as they're equipped for building up one another in the body of Christ. So, I would say one good question to ask ourselves is just this. Are we learning to serve? Because that's what this is about, the work of service, you see. that's how, If there's going to be a building up of the body of Christ, this work of service is what's necessary and so it should, the, the question that should come to our mind as we read at least this first part of the section is, are we learning to serve? That's what we're being equipped for, and that's what will build up the church, which is the body of Christ. Now, Paul then points out three outcomes of this building up of the body. After he sets the stage here, he points out three outcomes. And uh, the headings, or what, uh, what I would list them as, are one, that we all attain to the unity of the faith. Two, that we all attain a true knowledge of the Son of God. And three, that we all become mature, uh, or more accurately, we all become a mature man. Because he was thinking of the church as one body, not just individuals here. He's thinking of the overall church and that that church would become mature. So, uh, under those three headings then, that we all attain to the unity of the faith. I mean, this is part of what should be happening as the church is being built up, that we all attain to the unity of the faith. Um, that is the reality of what Christ will accomplish and is accomplishing and what we are more and more to be experiencing, attaining to the unity of the faith. Uh, 
not just amongst ourselves, you see. He's talking about the body of Christ worldwide, not just here in our particular group, uh, although that's important, but a unity of the faith which includes every true saint throughout the world. And I think not just right now either, because ultimately it's, it's a unity of the faith that includes every saint past, present, and future. Now, this is only going to be perfect in heaven, but we are to be moving more and more toward this right now, day by day, that we all attain to the unity of the faith. Second thing, that we all attain to the true knowledge of the Son of God. Uh, That is, to know more of what Christ really is, what he's really like, his character, his person, his attributes. The fact is we still have many misconceptions about him, even as Christians we do. If that wasn't the case, Paul wouldn't have prayed like he did over in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. He was praying for them, making mention of you, he says, in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. They needed more knowledge of him. Uh, And he said, I'm praying that God would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? So uh, that we may attain, we all may attain, the true knowledge of the Son of God. And then the last one, that we all become mature, or that the church as a body becomes mature. Uh, And that's the one, of course, that I want to spend the most time on here. This maturity is not measured by worldly standards of success or fame or achievement, but by Christ-likeness. The mature man has to do with the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, that is, the attributes of his character. Now, the role models that we usually have held up before us, at least in the world and in the media, uh, those that are held up to young people, are not even close to what the Bible means by maturity. Uh, Well, I think that's obvious. They're some of the most immature people you can imagine, at least in terms of biblical, what the Bible talks about maturity. So um, that's certainly not what we're talking about. What are we talking about? Well, Paul tells us here in the next verses, 14 through 16. Before we go into that, I don't just so we don't miss the application of what I've said so far, there's an application to Charles and myself as pastors. First of all, am I really helping those under my care to, one, attain to the unity of the faith, two, to attain to a true knowledge of the Son of God, and three, to become more mature 
that's the application. But this, there's an application, the same application goes really for all of us, and that is, are we, are you and I, more and more attaining to the unity of the faith and attaining to a true, true knowledge of the Son of God and becoming more mature? Well, what, what does that mean? What are we talking about here in terms of uh, what it means to become more mature? At least some of the answers, I think, are found in verses 14 through 16. So let's just read those again. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Maturity means, I mean, this should be obvious, but maturity means what he says here, we're no longer children. As a result, we are no longer to be children. Uh, you know, it's fine to be a child when you are a child, but you're not supposed to stay a child. Uh, there's a time to put away childish things. I mean, there's a time when we, uh, Paul said it in another place where he talked about uh, we speak as a child, we think as a child, we reason as a child, but then he says there's a time to put away childish things. In other words, to grow up. Now, here's the thing that some people don't realize, and that is it's possible to grow old without growing up. Um, that's why some of these role, role models that are even older are still not good role models because they never grew up. They just grew, grew old. Uh, see, growing old is natural. It's unavoidable. If you live, you, you grow old. Uh, but growing up, at least biblically, is supernatural. It has to do with grace and the choices we make. And I would put it this way, apart from grace-driven effort, you'll just grow old and you won't grow up. Now, one of the characteristics of the biblically immature is that they are unstable, vacillating, up and down. You see that? in this same verse where he talks about the children, that these that are immature. They're tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. The picture is you're just up and down, vacillating, nothing steady, um, very unstable, no stability. The winds and the waves of false teaching, uh, current fads and fashions, uh, powerful personalities toss them around, and they are easily led astray. This is what happens over and over again in much of professing Christianity. Fads and fancies, off they go this way. A powerful personality, off they go that way. Because there's no stability, you see. It doesn't take much to get them off on one of these waves, wind, wind of a powerful personality, and they're gone. Uh, 
some false teaching, and they're blown away. Well, part of the problem is that they don't realize the danger. That's part of being a child. You don't realize how dangerous some things are. Don't touch that, you have to tell them. Why? Because they don't realize the danger there. Uh, They don't realize how dangerous certain situations and people can be. Their spiritual senses are not exercised enough to discern evil from good. You see, he brings out here that there is trickery and there's craftiness and there's deceitfulness. And those things are, a child can't handle those things. They can't recognize. Now, you know, we naively, at least often, and especially in the immature state, we naively think that good and evil are always apparent. They're not. That's the whole point of him bringing out those verses, those words there about trickery and craftiness and deceitfulness. Uh, a good cross-reference, I think, on what we're looking at here is Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. Let me just turn to it. You don't need to turn, but I think you know the verse anyway. He says, uh, For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Here we're talking about, again, maturity, you see. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. That's a mark of maturity. Diligent practice of the truth, or you might call it grace-given effort, diligent practice of the truth is needed to move people to maturity, which equips, equips them to distinguish between good and evil. Now, I just wanted to quote um, a commentary here where it says, Most people assume it's easy to distinguish good from evil. They assume that any uh, slovenly, sleepy head can discern evil. Quite the contrary. Evil is subtle. Evil is sophisticated. Evil is blatant one instant and cleverly disguised the next, all of which keeps us off guard and off balance and prevents simplistic uh, diagnosis. So the point is is that um, it's sometimes not that easy. The mature Christian or one who's moving more towards maturity is one who, because of the practice of the truth, has their senses trained to discern good and evil. The practice of the truth, that's not a one-time thing, you see. It's something over and over, day by day, you will gain in this ability to distinguish truth and error and, and uh, good and evil. And the writer there, the Hebrews, goes on to say, let us press on to maturity. So it's a process. It's a pressing on in these areas. Now, in Ephesians, Paul puts it a little differently, but he's saying essentially the same thing. 
we are to grow up. We are to grow up. You see it there in uh, uh, verse 15. Grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ. Well, how do we, how do, we do that? Well, he says, But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects unto him. So this thing of growing up, maturing, has to do with speaking the truth in love. And uh, apparently that uh, word there, speaking the truth in love, can also be holding to the truth in love or walking in the truth in love. It's all kind of combined in the thought there. So it's not just the speaking, although I think that was the primary uh, emphasis that Paul was thinking of here, but speaking Speaking the truth in love, holding to the truth in love, walking in the truth in love is all part of the, the uh, thought form there. Uh, what are we saying? We're saying that the church grows spiritually as truth is shared and held to and walked in in love. That's how the church grows spiritually. So he says... Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects unto him. Now, what I'd like to do is give you a few thoughts here on distinguishing the sharing of the truth in love from what comes from false teachers and false teaching, uh, which is done in trickery and craftiness and deceitfulness. So here's here's... Some, some thoughts, anyway, to help distinguish the two. Uh, first, truth shared in love will exalt and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. It will make you more desirous to be like him, and it will make you love him more. That's what's happens when the truth is shared in love and walked in in love and held in love. On the other hand, false teachers or false teaching will magnify some person or movement or some fleshly activity. Not Christ, but some, some person. You've got to go hear this guy. You, you know, if you're going to really uh, grow, you've got to hear this guy. Or some movement. You've got to be a part of this movement. Or you've got to get involved in this activity, whatever it is. This is the, whatever current thing is, is tickling the fancy of religious people. Well, that's what you need to do. That's the way you'll grow. Well, no, that's, that has to do with trickery and craftiness and deceitfulness. Number two, truth shared in love will magnify the amazing grace of God and gratitude for God's love and grace in Christ will be the great motivator toward godliness. Now, there's kind of two things, but they they go together. The truth shared in love Love will magnify the amazing grace of God and gratitude for God's grace in Christ will be the great motivation for godliness. 
but false teaching and false teachers will magnify guilt and use it as the great motivator for change. And by change, I mean pull you into their system. They'll use guilt, not grace, guilt. Number three, truth shared in love will get your eyes off of, will get our eyes off of ourselves and onto Christ. False teachings will do just the opposite. They'll lead either to legalism or license, both of which are centered on self. So the one gets you centered on Christ, the other gets you centered on self, either by going towards legalism or towards license. But either way, it's going to be self that's, that's in the center of it. Number four, truth shared in love will encourage you to put your full confidence in the Word of God and make you want to know more of God's Word. Put your confidence in the Word of God and want you, make you desire to know more of what God has to say in His Word. False teachers will try to get you to put your confidence in their teaching or usually in a particular teacher and not question him or her. It's a very common thing in false teaching. Confidence in this particular interpretation, this particular preacher and or teacher and what he's saying. Uh, it will seek, false teaching will seek you to make, make you to be dependent upon their teaching and interpretation instead of encouraging you to get into the Word of God and uh, seek out God's Word. They want you to seek themselves out, that particular teacher. So, one more here. Um, The truth shared in love will draw you into fellowship with every member of the body of Christ. I mean, you won't know them all because you can't meet them all. But when you do meet them, you'll want to fellowship with them. And what you'll want to do is you'll want to be encouraged by them and encourage them. It's just... uh, it's just the way God set it up and the way God makes it. And this is what's brought out in, in verse 16. From whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building, of its, of building up of itself in love. Every member wanting to learn from and help every other member. Now, that's not what you get from the false teaching and false teachers. False teachers will seek to draw you away from other true believers and isolate you into their particular group. Uh, to me, this verse 16 is an incredible verse. 
because it's talking about the importance of every believer, you see, the importance of every believer to every other believer. Uh, I think you could say it this way because he's talking about from whom the whole body, the whom being Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together, Christ in every believer is important for every other believer. Christ in every believer is important for every other believer. I have to think about that a little bit. But that's what he's saying here. Uh, according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body. If you're going to grow, if you're going to have maturity, you're going to have to have the other members of the body of Christ. And, and again, we're not just talking locally here. We're talking about universally. We're talking about all around the world. We need, we need those other believers. They need us. And it's, it all works for the building up of the body, the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Well, um, just those comparisons there. So let me close by uh, just asking a final few questions here. One, are we gaining in our commitment to God's people? I mean, that's what we're talking about here. Are we gaining in our commitment to God's people? Not just in our little group here, but wherever we find them. Two, are we gaining in our discernment of truth? Are we becoming less gullible? Are we becoming, uh, well, more discerning? Uh, number three, is spiritual balance replacing extremes and vacillations? Remember, that's one of the marks of the child. Up and down, no stability, tossed around. Is spiritual balance replacing extremes and vacillations? Number four, is our denouncing of evil matched by compassion and involvement in good? That's a big one because it talks about speaking the truth in love, you see. And uh, I, I can testify to the fact that demonstrating the truth is a lot harder than denouncing error. I mean, it's a far greater victory to be able to demonstrate the truth than it is to just denounce the error. So... Is our denouncing of evil matched by compassion and involvement in good? Number five, are we becoming more Christ-centered and less self-centered? Now, the, way I, the reason I say it that way uh, is just because it is a process. It's not complete until we reach heaven, but are we becoming more... Christ-centered and less self-centered? That's the question. Uh, we should be moving towards that form of maturity, that aspect of maturity. And then lastly, are we looking forward to more of what God has for us? That's the mark of maturity, looking forward, not looking backward, looking forward. Uh, 
the not going to mature looking backwards? Are we looking forward to more of what God has for us? See, that's what he says here. Uh, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Are we looking forward to that? And really, I'll close in with a verse that fits so well uh, with that idea of looking forward. And I'll just read it to you. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect or mature, have this attitude. The attitude is pressing on going forward, not letting whatever was behind uh, cause us to be looking that way, but looking forward to more of what God has for us. That's a mark of maturity. As the writer of Hebrews says, let us press on to maturity. So, uh, some thoughts then from that section in Ephesians. Hopefully it uh, will be something to uh, kind of spur you on to read it and uh, especially not just to read it but to ask God to help us to press on in the area of becoming more Christ-like. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your purposes to grow us up and uh, we thank you for the uh, fellowship of the saints which is so important in this area of growing up and Father we pray that we would uh, seek to speak the truth in love to one another Uh, not only will that help the other person it will help us to grow We pray, Father, that you just teach us more of what uh, what you have for us as as a uh, as a church, and uh, help us to be more Christ-centered. We ask it in Jesus' name.